One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana. The host asked me if I had a nickname. Said my friends call me the Dirtbag King. She said on the air I started giggling. Hasn't had me back, but now I've got this podcast. Welcome to my podcast. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. My name's Charles Ellsworth, and you're listening to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. If you're not familiar with me, that's all right. You're definitely not the only one. I'm a songwriter first, musician second, somewhere down the line filmmaker. Pretty much I just like to tell stories. Some people have called me a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, and I'm definitely semi-professional at everything I do. Nothing single-handedly makes me a living, but it all adds up to getting by. Thanks so much for tuning in to Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. This is your host, Charles Ellsworth, and I'm just fucking stoked to have you guys here. I think I say that every week, and it's true every week. I mean it. Fucking stoked to have you guys here. This week, we've got none other than my friend Joe Reinhardt, the producer, engineer, extraordinaire, guitar wizard, uh, known for his work with Algernon Codwallader, uh, Hop Along, as well as many others, and he also produced my new record, Honeysuckle Summer, that just came out this past Friday. So we thought it was an appropriate time to release this interview of me and Joe shooting the shit about life on the road, life as a musician, and life as an engineer, producer, guitar wizard. Now, I'm not sure if you've had the chance to listen to my new record, Honeysuckle Summer, yet, but... I can guarantee you, or I can honestly say, that part of why that record sounds as good as it does and feels as good as it does and the performances are the best performances we could get out of all of the performers, out of me, is because of Joe. Joe just sets an environment and uh, a standard that's that's very high while helping us reach it, it through like a really fun kind of puzzle piece type of way we talk about his process a lot in this interview and it was just such a pleasure to work with him and the, and the way he um, feels the music and can tell when something's not working or but also communicate with the band in the way that that it's like this is kind of your problem to fix but I'm just pointing out there's a problem and it was really really cool and I learned so much in the 11 days I spent in the studio with him and so much more in all the time I spent doing overdubs and things like that in my room and and sending them to him, getting his feedback on the sounds or, or the performances. We, it was just a, a really cool and informative process to see how he works. And I'm just stoked to have this interview with you all. I traveled down to Philadelphia a couple weeks ago to record a few interviews and to just get the fuck out of New York City for a day. And it felt great. I had a sandwich with my buddy Sam. And I love Sam. And I haven't seen him in a while. And it was great. And then I saw Joe. And I recorded another podcast with Mike Brenner, which you will hear sometime in the next few weeks. And... It was a great trip, and I was just stoked to leave New York City because this past year I've hardly left, and it was nice to get out. I'm sure by now you know that the sponsor of this week's episode is my new record, Honeysuckle Summer, from Burrow Baracho Records. It's been received very positively. We've All the reviews that I've seen, um, which isn't many, but the ones that I've seen have been really positive from people I don't even know, which is really cool. The pre-orders have been rolling in steadily, and then the and I guess they're technically now orders now that it's out. And I'm just I just want to say thanks so much everyone who's ordered t-shirts or sweatshirts or vinyl. I'm getting them mailed out. I spent all day long, f- 
Friday, all of release day packing pre-orders to make sure they could go out that day. And yeah, I'm just so fucking stoked. And I'm and thank you so much for listening to it. Those of you that have streamed it so far, if you haven't, please go check out Honeysuckle Summer on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, whatever music platform they have, Google, YouTube, all of the places. I guarantee you Honeysuckle Summer is there and you should listen to it top to bottom. I think you all really will dig this record. I fucking love it. I'm so proud of it. And I just am stoked to have it in the out into the world now and to to see how it's received. And now I've actually been getting all kinds of ideas for new songs, which is so fucking cool. It's been a really long time since I've been like getting like little bits of inspiration. Most of those things have come around the creating or the releasing of the album. And so now that it's like out, it's weird. In the two weeks before the album came out, I started getting these little ideas that have developed into much more full ideas. And it's really inspiring. It's cool because the the cycle's weird. Sometimes you, if you've been working on getting a record out for so long, sometimes you can worry about like, do I still got it? Can I still write songs? I haven't written a song in so long. Like, what the fuck? Or I haven't like gotten like really hit in the face with a piece of inspiration in a while. And, and then it happens a few times. You're like, Nope, it's still there. It's still there. I've just been focused on other things and it feels great. And I'm just fucking stoked. I'm excited to see where this record takes me and hopefully my band on the road when that's a possibility again. And I'm excited to start working on the next one. So thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you for your orders. If you haven't ordered one yet on vinyl, we've got these sweet clear blue, trans translucent blue. I don't know what they're called. It's in this gatefold packaging, and we've got the lyrics printed on the inside of it so you can read along and see how many words I try and fit into four-minute songs. It's way too many. If you weren't sure, it's too many. <laughs> but talk to Mark. He had their bus stop. He had to do the design on that and I don't envy the dude he did a such a good job it looks fucking rad and yeah go to charlesellsworth.bandcamp.com to order yourself a copy of honeysuckle summer on vinyl now without much more further ado much more further ado without without having to wait too much longer I want you all to hear this interview with my buddy Joe But real quick before we get to it, can I ask you to please, if you like this podcast, if you like this episode in particular, send it to some friends you think will enjoy it. Please leave us a rating in the iTunes store or the podcast app. It's a great way to get the word out more about the podcast, and we would just love for the listenership to grow on this thing as much as possible. I've been really enjoying the interviews I've been getting lately. I've been getting even bigger artists, and I'm starting to meet different publicists and people that could get me to even more people. So it's really cool. The listenership's growing. Thank you so much for listening. I know that it's kind of a wacky, wacky. It's, I don't know if that's the right word, but it's, it's, I, I know that there's not a whole lot of like bells and whistles going on. It's pretty much just straightforward forward shooting the shit about being on, on the road. And I don't know. I, it's, it's a podcast that I wanted to listen to. And so I decided to make it and I really appreciate all of you guys listening along. So please, Tell anyone you think might enjoy it to listen to it. Any guests you think would be great on the show, shoot me a message at charles.smellsworth on Instagram. And yeah, let me know what you think. Let me know what you think of the new record, what you think of the podcast. Uh, please be nice. Um, 
But, you know, say what you got to say. I really appreciate y'all listening. And please share the podcast with people. Oh, yeah. Honeysuckle Summer, my new record. I know I mentioned it earlier, but listen to it on streaming services. Go listen to it and tell other people and share it with them. Tell them to listen to it. And, yeah, listen to this episode with my buddy Joe Reinhardt here on A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. Thank you. Okay, welcome to Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. This is your host, Charles Ellsworth, and I'm sitting here with my buddy Joe Reinhardt. Hey, How you doing, Joe? I'm doing pretty good. It's nice to be talking to a person in my house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's weird to be in another, a new place. Yeah. I went in two new places today. Like I was at Mike's earlier recording that interview, and then here, and it's like, I haven't been in a new place in months. Never mind two. Huh? Never mind two new yeah, places. Yeah, two in a day? Man, if I stop at like a service center on the way home to get gas, it's going to be like the fucking, I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be exciting. Well, you went to a quick stop. Speaking of exciting, your I audience did... wants to know probably about quick stop. Oh, yeah. Quick stop. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. We got to talk about quick stop. The, well, I stopped there to buy an energy drink because that's by the studio and I got breakfast and or an energy drink there like almost... Not every morning, but like a lot of mornings while making honeysuckle summer. And then there's that donut shop a little further down the way. That's where I got coffee and donuts most mornings. So what's that place called? Um, Dottie's? No, Dottie's is by me. Uh, hello. Yeah, Hello, hello donuts. donuts. Yeah. yeah, that place was great. Yeah. You told me if I went there, I'd get a, a record deal. But, yes, but it didn't happen. So, ah. so now, so now I'm making you do my podcast. Yeah, everybody that owns it is does something in the music industry. So I just I assumed. Yeah, it was just a front for talent scouting. Buy a donut. Mm-hmm. This guy looks like he plays guitar. Yeah, the way you're eating that donut makes me think you're a piece of shit musician and yeah. you can write decent songs. You got long hair. Is that a is that a wool knit hat? Hmm. Hmm. Ripping your jeans. Yeah, sign this here. Sign this real quick. Yeah. What is it? Don't worry. Everything out of Philadelphia is hot right now. It's like Seattle in the 90s. So yeah. They're, they're just, you know, throwing their chips down everywhere. Yeah. Seattle in the 90s, but somehow more plaid. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. Because <laughs> in the 90s, they didn't have plaid pants. But I think I saw two pairs of plaid pants on the drive here. I've been told Ska's making a comeback. So maybe that has something to do with it. Ska is making a comeback. Where did you get your information? Hmm? I'm making a ska record, <laughs> and as soon as it's out, it will be back. Yeah, it will, I am single-handedly bringing ska back. <laughs> that and the mighty, mighty Boss Tones reunion that may or may not be happening. It happened. They released a song. Oh, did they? It has 15 or like 30 something other ska people on it. It's like a 10 minute long song. Oh, so they're like this is like Revenge of the Ska. It's nerds, like Ska's greatest hit, but like in less one misogyny. That is not the greatest hit, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of ska. I've been playing a lot of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1, uh-huh. and uh, never realized how Sky Goldfinger was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because like, when I was listening to that, I didn't just really realize what Ska... I didn't know what Ska was, because I was like fucking 12. And then now I'm back listening to it, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're really Sky-y. Yeah. They're like a Ska band. Yeah. <laughs> Gold- yes. Superman? Yeah. I remember my friend Spencer, who I was just texting, actually. Um, he saw them live. That was his, the first band that any of our friends had seen because we did, like grew up like three hours from where shows would happen. Uh-huh. 
and he saw them in like seventh grade and he came to school like the next day or the next Monday with a Goldfinger shirt. And I was like, so fucking jealous. Uh, like I was so jealous. And then his brother, a few months later, took me to my first concert, which was the Ataris and Nerf Herder and not a surf. Whoa. And my buddy Bob, who produced my last record, happened to be playing keyboards at that show for the Ataris. Wow. Which is like fucking crazy. Like me at 13 went and saw this show that I saw this guy who would eventually like produce like multiple records for me. I also have a similar Atari story. Really? Yes. Uh, so my friend who I ended up playing in, Oh God, I don't know that I'm counting maybe like six bands with, mm-hmm. uh, my friend Peter, um, put on an Atari show at this VFW hall. There was like a riot. It was like a, like 20 bands played, but before the Ataris played, it was basically a riot. And then, so a bunch of people left like, you know, this local gang left. And then at the end of the, it was the Ataris and they gave this whole speech about loving everybody. And, you know, we all sang along to the Ataris, mm-hmm. but, uh, there's San pictures Dimas of that. high school football rules. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there's, there's pictures of that show. And it's like me standing next to all these people who I like met and like joined formed bands with like, you know, three years later. Really? Yeah. Oh, dude, that's so dope. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, it's so wild because I just had a interviewed or had my buddy Carson Wolf, Vincent Draper is a stage name on the show. And like he and I met in a similar way. And that was the whole way I ended up playing folk music. Like I was like writing songs and stuff because my band had broken up and I was like too scared to show him to anyone. I meet this dude at like a barbecue. And he plays some songs, and then next thing I know, like his band's asking me to open shows for him and stuff. And Whoa. so it's just like weird that those days you look back on. I wrote a little bit about it on Instagram, but like it's like you don't, you would have had zero idea when you left your house that day that it was going to be such an important day, mm-hmm. you know, because it was just like a fucking barbecue, you know? And then it just turns into like, oh, the course of my life from that point in my 20s, like age 21, 22 on just changed completely yeah you know and like i was already a musician and was playing was doing all this kind of stuff but i had kind of been like okay that was fun i think i'm done i gotta go finish school and go be a person now and then that was like no you could just keep doing this and i did so yeah it's kind of wild that's kind of wild you know what i think i think the people have spoken they want to hear me and you play an atari song okay <laughs> uh, i'm in an open tune it's just never mind <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, maybe another time. Join us for part two. Subscribe of, uh, to our YouTube channel <laughs> to hear us play an Atari song. Chuck and Joe play Atari songs. <laughs> I think we, I think we can get some followers. I think definitely. Um, so, uh, speaking of which, where where'd you where did you grow up? You grew up right here in Philly. Uh, I'd be lying if I said yes, so I'm gonna say no. I was born <laughs> in Philly, but yeah, no lies on this podcast. We uh. You know, my parents moved to the suburbs, but only like 45 minutes outside mm-hmm. of the city. And that's where I spent my, you know, what is it, what, formative years mm-hmm. until, I mean, all of us, just everyone I was hanging out with, you know, uh, doing bad kid shit and playing music. We were like, all right, well, it's time to go to the city. So we all just sort of migrated here one by one, like, you mm-hmm. know, early 20s. Okay. Yeah. Been um, here since. Nice. Uh, the, the, what, the, 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 
What was your what was your house like growing up? What what did you guys just pretty typical house or you you have many siblings? Like how how did music I brother first... sister um you know pretty pretty tight knit family middleclass.com mm-hmm. uh you know I played some sports started getting into I guess it was probably like Nirvana, and then when the second I heard Green Day, I was like, "Well, that's the thing I want to do." Uh huh. So I was ten, and then you know, all downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> there goes my uh, my being a physicist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, my uh, my dad was an FBI agent. Oh wow. Yeah. That's what was growing up. What was that like? Is that because my dad or my stepdad was uh, like ex marine and had been a cop years before he married my mom, but like. So, totally different, obviously, but like there's, <laughs> but there's that that like growing up in a former cop's house was definitely a specific type of house to grow up in. Was your dad pretty like, I don't know, pretty high and tight? Like I don't know how to. Not really. Not uh, not much of an authoritarian. I mean, he was gone. I mean, you know, he worked in Newark, so it was a two-hour commute mm. each way. Yeah. So he didn't get home till later, but you know, I mean. Seven thirty, eight o'clock. Dad comes home. We gotta stop playing music. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, he was he was pretty chill. Yeah. I mean, he, for for someone who's supposed to solve crimes and be a detective, I I don't totally notice how I don't. I'm not totally sure how he didn't notice I was like high out of my mind the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe he did. Yeah. Have you talked to him about I that mean, since? It's, you know, when you find the cereal in the freezer enough times. <laughs> Like, yeah, for sure. How does he not know that the that doesn't go in there? I was like, oh, I don't know. That's crazy how that got in there. I, I could have sworn that definitely was ice cream. wasn't me. I could have sworn I was eating a bowl of ice cream last yeah. night. <laughs> oh man, that's actually really funny. Um, where did uh, where did the love for music? So you said Green Day was the first time you like, just was it? What was it about it? The energy, the the melodicness, the m- melodicness. I don't know if that's a word. I would say it's both those things. Yeah. Yeah, just the, the sound of like that palm muted power chord fast with like this snotty, catchy thing sung over it. It was, you, I mean, it was the suburbs. It was, you know, if, if it wasn't on the radio, you weren't going to know about it. Mm-hmm. I didn't have an older brother yeah, or somebody who had eventually figured these things out that there's underground music and indie music and bazillions of records that get made that aren't on the billboard charts. Totally. Uh, so that was the, my intro to that sort of feeling. And I just, you know, kind of snapped. I was just like, this is, this is like candy. I love this. Yeah. Cool. And is that when you picked up a guitar? Yeah. My dad did play, like he could play like, you know, some Beatles songs mm-hmm. and you know, that an acoustic. Uh, so he taught me some of the basics and yeah, then I, I mean, all of our friends sort of like, we all kind of snapped around the same time. So it was, you know, it was still probably 10 ish when I, we took my friend's sister's karaoke machine and started like making demos with it. Oh really? Yeah. That's really cool. The just like, how did that work? Just, just like recording straight to like karaoke tape or? Yeah. That's uh, there was a microphone, it recorded the tape. We'd write some songs, and (laughs) no, that I I remember a buddy of mine and I, my buddy Sean Evans, who's one of my oldest friends. Sean, if you're listening, which I doubt you are, but what's up, dude? Uh, (laughs) let's go skating next time I'm in Phoenix. Uh, he uh, 
he and I, I remember writing out lyrics to a song in like fifth or sixth grade. And no, neither of us, like I had taken piano lessons, but like we weren't like, we just, we wanted to write songs, but didn't know how, how to do it, you know? So we just like, we're writing lyrics, which w- lyrics that an 11 year old would write, you know? Like yeah. I, I would love to get my hands on those. <laughs> Our band name was Granada. Which was grenade in Spanish? Okay, whoa! Because because I had a English Spanish to English dictionary, and I was like, <laughs> Granada, that looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's uh, that's funny that your first experience recording music was like so young. What what did it, how did that evolve? Like, what's the next step? As you, well, the next step was the formation of the Suburban Vermin. Suburban Vermin. Yeah. Damn. Um, how did we record? They didn't that? come up on your Wikipedia page. I should change that. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if you I'm had. Surprised the fans haven't already. Yeah, it's. <laughs> they still haven't caught on to my. I guess, I guess my aunt got me a talk boy, like the Home Alone talk boy. Oh, cool. So that was maybe like two years later, seventhish grade, somewhere between sixth and seventh. It would have been somewhere between sixth and seventh because that's when I had my birthday in July. So. Record onto the talk boy, put that tape into the boom box, bring the boom box over and the talk boy over, have them have the boom box playing while you're overdubbing the lead vocals and lead guitar records back onto the talk boy multi-tracking. Oh, wow. So we'd put the talk boy in the room with the drums and bass and rhythm guitar, and then we'd overdub lead vocals and lead guitar just by the other music playing out of the boom box. Really? Yeah. That's so wild <laughs> that you like figured that out. It's just like, I mean, preteens, tweens. Tweens. Yeah, tweens. That's an appropriate use of the word tween, I believe. Yeah, I was following your lead on that one. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I was saying, I've, I don't know if I've ever appropriately used the word tween before. Well, let's try to not find out. I don't, it feels weird to me. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of weird. Two grown men yeah, using yeah. the word tween seems, um, yeah. <laughs> no, we don't need to get to the bottom of that. We don't. No, we don't. We do need to get to the bottom of like that of figuring out how that's how you could multi-track that's uh was that just like a thing you're like i don't know how does your brain work that way like i think of kids that figured out hip-hop or like started hip-hop it was Mm -hmm. like they don't have instruments but they're just start figuring out how to like loop samples and things like it's that same kind of ingenuity like we're just going to figure out how to do this like do you has your brain always kind of worked in that way when it's working, it's usually thinking about recording. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, since you were twelve years old, essentially. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> that's a, uh, that's awesome, dude. I, I, this is a little off subject, but I gotta. On your website, it says, "quote unquote," a super chill guy under your name, and I just wanted to. Do you, you want to defend that statement at all? Well, I think they. I, I didn't put that there. Okay, cool. I think Squarespace must have just put that it's like an algorithm or something okay okay because i just you know <laughs> i just want i just wanted to make sure that you know we're, we're having journalistic integrity <laughs> <laughs> no um the uh so let's see what how did you start performing live was that around the same time like in front of people yeah um you know you know, I guess the yearish later, two year or two later, still was like young to be like, you know, my parents letting me go to like a battle of the bands or something. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they were like, you know, I would say on the uptighter end of the spectrum as far as letting me do things alone. Uh huh. Yeah. 
Probably because I was a shithead, <laughs> but also because I think they were a little uptight, or at least my mom was. And uh, so I wasn't really going to a lot of shows or playing much. But at some point, it was like, you know, asking if we could play these birthday parties and things like that. Mm-hmm. Nice. And that's the Suburban Vermin? That's the Suburban Vermin, which, yeah, what were the other names? I think it became the Suburban All-Stars. I think around that time, we, well, we went Ska for a little. Oh, nice. Of course, to... Bring it all back around. Yeah. Were we talking about Scott before it started recording? I think so. Okay. We've just been talking for hours at this yeah, point, yeah, but we only so hit I don't record know at some my point. My talking about Scott's out of nowhere. I think it's full context. circle. I think okay. the, the audience knows. Well, yeah. G- given the time, you know, 1997, mm-hmm. question mark. A big year for Scott. Yeah. Uh, and so you were talking about your first show and or your friend's first show was Goldfinger. And I remember, and you were pissed because you couldn't go. Mm-hmm. And then I remember the Mr. T experience, which was my favorite band at the time was opening for real big fish. And my friends went and I couldn't go. And I was so fucking mad. Mm-hmm. I might've even cried. I was so fucking mad. Um, well, that, I guess that's the end of the Scott tangent, but uh, <laughs> yeah, just trying to, you know, battle the bands, any kind of whatever the hell thing you can play. It was always the thing to do. It was always, Somewhere in there, I got a, you know, I was umpiring baseball games and like got a four track. Yeah. So we were recording and just, you know, trying to, trying to do the thing. Did we have the same childhood? I used to umpire <laughs> baseball games. We're like different opposite or opposite ends of the country and like a few years apart, but it's like the same shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My first job was umpiring baseball games. That's funny. Um, so it, like for me. Like one day I kind of woke up in my twenties and found Jesus. <laughs> and that's what I'm here to talk to you about. I was like, well, how did you get in here? What did we do last night? Yeah. No, one <laughs> Who day are you? I... You should go. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, get out of here. I don't know what I said, but I guarantee I didn't mean it. <laughs> but no, one day I like looked up and realized like, oh, music's the most consistent way I've been making money in my entire life. You know, and it was like never like a lot of money, but playing in bands in high school and and not that that money went into my pocket, but like it was a way of like, oh, you get this many people to show up to this thing and you can like make money. And it, it, and like I kind of just looked around, and I was like, I guess I'm a musician now. Like, and I never planned on being a musician. I went to school for film and I wanted to, you know, I just had all these other ideas. Like, but it sounds like you were you just like always like all in on the music thing. Yes. Really? Yeah, I can't think of any point where I thought it should not be that. Mm-hmm. As soon as I started playing guitar, I was like, well, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. I think a part of me kind of felt and knew that, but like also didn't. I had never met anyone that that's what they did. No, I guess I didn't either. But I just assumed I'd be dropping out of high school at some point because I'd be famous. You know, yeah. Would... <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> classic, classic rock. Yeah classic rock and roll story yeah i was did, like no we're gonna form a punk band we'll be huge <laughs> and well and when did you so like after high school what what was the plan did you like go to engineering school did, have you, did you just keep experimenting uh, yeah, i figured you know you had to do something my parents wanted me to go to college my friends were going to college or most of them and you know the idea of not living at home seemed like fun mm-hmm and I roommate, I had a, uh, my roommate was a good friend of mine. I was engineering school. It, it was kind of a joke 
but like where was this besides at? like bloomsburg in the middle of pa like mm-hmm. it, it was very very much like the the one music guy in the whole town was the band director and mm-hmm. the recording teacher and you know it was just uh that's fine but um you know so it was just uh played a lot of guitar smoked a lot of weed didn't go to a lot of classes mm-hmm. eventually dropped out went to drexel in philly but i was commuting playing a lot of guitar playing in bands dropped out to do recording or touring or something like that mm-hmm. went to community college dropped out to do recording or band stuff went back to drexel graduated nice <laughs> i remember the last day of that last day of drexel uh my band at the time algernon cadwallader picked me up in the corner of 33rd market i gave the middle finger to the school mascot got in the van and we went on tour Really? Yeah. <laughs> so how did how did Algernon Codwallader start? Like, what was that? Like, what age did it start at, and what did that look like? Uh, in high school, we played this band called Halfway to Hall, and it was me, TJ, Colin, and Peter. Uh, we were, you know, after that, we were all playing in different bands, lots of different bands. Halfway broke up peter colin and i went on to do this other band called like lions that fell apart and then you know we're all sort of you know we're all still friends and everyone's just playing music and having a good time everyone's in a bunch of bands and eventually we started doing this thing with our friend nick we met nick at a party and we're like hey wouldn't it be cool if we just like you want to start a band that rips off american football Uh and we're all like cheers and beers and going sure yeah whatever who gives a shit yeah let's do that let's start another band yeah and peter was on tour i was like ah peter will sing it'll be awesome uh and i'll play bass too it'll be great so i texted him i was like hey you're in this new band we just started yeah and so we you know because colin and i gotten kicked out of the the like lions pants we were like pretty pumped on like doing something like doing it hard so we were already like demoing things for when peter came home and we could start practicing but it was a slow start but eventually you know we started doing more and what age is this you know it's hard to mid early 20s yeah early 20s i guess 23 24 totally yeah that's uh the that spite feeling can be really powerful like, or, you know, it sounds, was that what it was like getting kicked out of that one band and being like, fuck this, we're, we're going to do something else. Like, or we're going to do something. It was, was definitely a drive. Was yeah. it, was it, did it feel like spite? Sorry. That's, I was kind of like assuming it, but. Uh, you know, more, you know, everything seems so epic when you're younger. Cause your frame of reference is shorter and smaller. So small, yeah. And you're like, oh, I'm finished you know i guess i I guess i am gonna have to get a real job but it was just like no we'll do this other thing you know Uh because that was that band was like poised to do all this great things it was like meeting with managers so it really seemed kind of a kind of like a bummer like we were about to go on that path which Mm -hmm. ended up self-destructing for them yeah uh so we sort of circled back to the diy vibe Mm -hmm. and over a very long period of time built algernon up made records you know yeah, yeah. I will, and I wasn't familiar with Algernon until I knew you. You know, like I, I didn't, but I like it's, it's 
such a big band for a lot of people. Like a lot of people, like I bring it up, like even Blake who played on the record, he was just like, dude, I fucking love that band. Like meeting Joe was kind of really fucking cool. You uh, know? Like, awesome. and it's, and I hear that from a lot of people that, uh, but I think just based on when you all were making music and where I was geographically and how my, my band was like, my band that had broken up made me want to just like turn away from anything that style. And that's when I went like, getting into like country americana stuff because i was just like so burnt by the pop punk indie pop world or whatever mm-hmm. and so it's i don't know it's just interesting that i never really like heard of you guys and then i start listening once you and i become friends or maybe before i went to the studio with you and i was just like man this band fucking rules i can't believe i never listened to them so that, i don't know i don't know it's kind of a bit of a tangent to be like it's a cool band man good job <laughs> well thank you <laughs> but i mean while you were doing it did you have any idea that like because I I don't have any frame of reference as far as like the the shows you were playing or what was going on, but did you have any idea that like a lot of young people like that that emo revival type thing you guys were doing was like a lot of people really fucking dug it or it's kind of had lasting power. What was it like while you were in it? Uh, wasn't that wasn't on any kind of scale. It was we play music. This is the thing we do. You know, we had the release show for the first record, probably. 10 blocks that way mm-hmm. in a basement you know it was it was uh, it was a lot of basement shows it was it was small the super DIY. it was just us playing music it didn't have any anything else yeah it was just oh you be you, you start a band you go on tour you make records and that's that's that totally towards the tail end there was some bigger opportunities happening and, and you know talk of things more than just basement shows mm-hmm. and you know maybe there was a little bit of money involved here and there but still pretty small potatoes yeah comparatively so it's like a lot of the popularity was more post-mortem or yeah like that that music just kind of I mean, that's that's silly to say no it would it's, it's hard to get a uh frame of reference for really I, uh, it I was popular that. it feels more popular now than it was then okay no, I get that. Like my my old band wasn't anywhere to that level, but I'll still get random emails being like, "I love this band so much. Where can I get a CD?" Like, because it's not none of the music is online or whatnot, and you know, and right or you know, you get those random emails. It's just like, you know, and it, it, at some point we were kind of growing to be a pretty popular band. Had mm-hmm. like sixty, seventy thousand fans on MySpace. You oh know? yeah, but it's <laughs> like you know, that's also like a, a dating myself. You know, just saying MySpace and it's. But then, like, we broke up, and three months later, nobody, it seemed like nobody cared. And then 10 years later, I'm getting emails from people being like, I fucking love this record. Oh, that's awesome. Which is, like, weird. Um, What, did you have a record? Yeah, we had a couple EPs that, you know, one that we toured on. My buddy Bob, who I mentioned earlier, he produced the second EP we put out, and it got, like, a, like, we had picked up a manager and stuff like that, and we were kind of, we were about to go on our first tour that was booked by someone else. You know, that was, like because I booked all the tours was mm-hmm. like, holy fucking shit. This like, we've made it, you know? Right. And then we broke up like two weeks before that, before we played South by and went on that tour, uh, you know, yeah. classic, classic. Yeah. You know, um, but it's just, it's just interesting to kind of look back. Cause that frame of reference is like nothing I've done since has had that level of quote unquote success, but also none of the, I don't know how to put it. Like none of that ever felt like real. Whereas, like, the fact that I've had to sit there and just kind of scrape by to get anything since has been, like, very real. Right. I guess. It's hard to quantify. 
It is. I'm it not is. really. I don't know how to make a question out of that. <laughs> uh, no, it is. It, it, uh, one of the last shows we played was with Joyce Manor, who is now a very popular band, uh-huh. and it was in New York. It was in Brooklyn, and it was it was sold out. But you know, I think it was 200 cap room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was one of our last four three shows. So. Okay. Not that popular. Yeah. But the kids that were there were excited, and we were definitely excited. Fucking stoked, yeah. Super stoked. Like, we all, like, the band was making a little bit of money. We were, like, so sloppy with it. Like, we were just, like, all having it in our pockets, like, buying drinks, like, buying pizzas. Like, it felt crazy. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) And it was, and I'm not talking about any real amount of money. No, a little bit of money. But it was some, like, each of us have 50 bucks in our pocket and just do whatever the fuck we wanted with it. It was crazy. Oh, (laughs) totally. Yeah. Yeah, I the first time I got a. Actually, I, I've never gotten a per diem. The first time I paid one out, I felt like this is. I just felt like kind of like a like just like a big step, and it was like ten bucks per day to my yeah. three bandmates. Yeah, you know, but it was just like no, I can actually give my bandmates money for food, and not just at the end of a tour like. This is, this is what we got. Split it up, you know. And everybody yeah. like walks with seventy five bucks or whatever <laughs> after two or three weeks. So no, it's a it's such a monumental achievement to have like. To turn money into, or to turn music into money, especially these days, feels so much like alchemy, because it's because music doesn't have like a monetary value in our society really, on the level that it once did. Um, do you have anything to say about about that specifically, or um, I don't know? It's what, monetary value. No, I not really. Just because it's it, it is my job now making it or mixing it or producing it or Mm -hmm. whatever my role playing on something is, but I would still be doing those things to some capacity if there was no money involved. And what got me here was the fact that the money never really fucking mattered anyway. Yeah, totally. So what it means to other people and personally for people i think is its monetary value like you know the pleasure you get out of listening to something you get pleasure from yeah you know how that makes you feel like that's never going to go away yeah and that was there then and is there now the making a song and the pennies you get from a fucking spotify or something yeah yeah sure not great but if it's a great song and you feel great about it and it's going to make other people feel great, then that's, no seems, seems worth plenty. Totally. It, I, I made the mistake of, I was having this conversation with a friend recently and I, I think I said music has no value instead of monetary value in our society. And she stopped me dead in my tracks and was like, no, fuck you. Music has <laughs> so much value, monetary value. Maybe it was my therapist who said that she, she, even she was like, hold up. <laughs> Cause like for you to think that what you do has no value is totally false. Um, and so I don't know. That's interesting. What's the what? What did the end of uh, Algernon look like? Like, how did that, or how did you transition out of that? What did um? What did it look like? Was and I'm not trying to get like <laughs> I'm not trying to get any like super saucy like. No, it's it's not that saucy. Yeah. You know, you, you could look on his Instagram and see that that's the case. But uh, we were in Montreal, Canada. <laughs> and I was walking with somebody, maybe Peter. I don't remember who I was with. But 
our drummer was over by his car. It was the morning. We were going to get coffee or food or something to eat or whatever. Drummer was on his phone by the car. And, you know, I knew he didn't have roaming. And he was always, like, a little weary about that. I was like, what the fuck is he doing on his phone? And he's, like, kind of pacing back and forth. And then uh, I kind of look at him like, what are you doing? Like, you, you, I, I, I guess the audience can't see me. I put my hands in my hand. Like, yeah, yeah. What are you doing? And then... To also say the motion that he did is he kind of made the motion as if he had a basketball on his stomach. Ooh. Which it was kind of implied what the conversation was. He was oh. talking to his significant other on the phone. Gotcha. And that's yeah, not for better or for worse, better for everybody. Everybody seems happy now. Uh-huh. But that's what it actually looked like. Oh, okay. We finished the tour and... That was the end. Yeah. He, he, there was no... I, I mean, like I was saying earlier, there wasn't any monetary way to make having a family happen and being in a punk band. Yeah, for sure. It just was not going to happen, and it would be torturous probably for all parties involved. Yeah, you probably wouldn't uh, be friends anymore if you tried to make it yeah. happen. Yeah. I mean, maybe we could have. Maybe it was overly dramatic. Maybe we could have just, you know, chilled out on it, pumped the brakes, and done less. But it just it seemed... The idea of having a kid at that age for any of us would have been terrifying. Like yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's what it looked like. It okay, looked like no, uh, Tank making a basketball shape with his hand across okay. the street in Canada. Wow. And then my head was just like, ah, fish sticks. That's it. Egg. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it wasn't time. like, it, it was sad playing like the last, you know, the last two shows. The last show was in D.C. at the Black Cat. The second to last show was the first Unitarian Church in Philly. And I remember just, you know, playing those riffs for the last time and watching the sea of people go nuts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that felt special for sure. But it wasn't it wasn't necessarily sad or Uh nobody was sad or mad. It was just kind of what it was. That's a that's a it's almost best case scenario for a band to break like to end. Yeah. You know, because the band I mentioned that was felt like a divorce, you know, and it, it was like it took a long time for me to like even talk to a lot of those dudes. Yeah. One of which I'm just not friends with, but he's turned into like a QAnon <laughs> something thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's a whole other reason. But yeah, so no, that's actually sounds about best case scenario to remain friends with everyone and whatnot. Yeah, totally. What what did you do after that? I at that point The I had produced the Hop Along record, the first Hop Along record, Get to Sound. Get to Sound, yeah. Um, so that had came that had come out, and I was playing some shows with them, like local shows, or if like a you know a three day tour would pop up here and there. And Peter would play with us too. He would like just play whatever auxiliary instruments there were mm-hmm. to be played in Hop Along, and um, so I was not. They hop along did two tours post get disowned mm-hmm. without me because I was doing Algernani stuff. Uh, but the hop along started to get a little more popular. Started to you know, the idea of like playing at a Bowery Ballroom was something you know like a real bigger venues was nothing that was ever on Algernon's radar. That mm-hmm. stuff didn't came up a couple times but it wasn't like a regular thing so we'd get asked to open shows and they'd ask me to play and eventually 
it was never like, oh, you're going to be in this band or, you know, we want you to be in the band. Or it was like, let me be in the band. It was just, we just, over time, I just started playing more shows with them. We were already really good friends. Like we, Francis and I developed a really deep friendship making that record. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I, I think I'm in the band now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. It, it's it's just kind of a natural progression. Yeah, that kind of. So they did overlap, sense. and that was nice because it was something musical to be excited for and to kind of transition into. Also, yeah, and then I think that record also brought some attention to you know my production work. Mm-hmm. So it's simultaneously that started picking up a little bit, and yeah, cool. Yeah, that's uh, that yeah, that sounds like the the great. I don't know, transition into just as something to be doing. And then um, from there, what, like, I, I met Francis at uh, their art show in New York a little over a year ago, uh-huh. uh, just before. And just briefly was like, because I, when I first met you was at that show in Salt Lake City. I recall. Outside of it. And I, I, I barely recall. <laughs> I was, I had rolled three joints for that show and found out that none of my friends smoke weed anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, but I was determined to like drink all the beers and smoke all the weed that night. And one of my friends, like City Ghost, opened it, and like that was dope. And then Summer Cannibals played, and that they blew my mind. Yeah. And then I'd never seen Hoplong, y'all play, and also blew my mind. It just was I remember watching y'all play and just being like, I need to like, I want to be friends with these people. <laughs> like this is one Aww. of the coolest rock and roll shows I've ever seen. Whoa. And like I really briefly talked to you guys and you know to you and Lucy outside, mm-hmm. but I also didn't want to be like I, I specifically remember my buddy being like, You should check out Chuck's music and me being like, Ah, don't do that. <laughs> 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 but and then sorry, there's a long story to get to when I I met Francis and was like mentioned uh that I was gonna make a record with you. I was like, I caught you guys at in Salt Lake City a while back and it was like at a point in my life where I like needed to see that show. And I saw it, and it was a, one of the most inspiring days of that year for me. Whoa. And being like, and then I found out that, oh, I had met you and that you produced the newest record, or I got into the newest record and Bark Your Head Off Dog, obsessively listened to that for months. And that's when I decided I was, I'm going to reach out to Joe about making this record. And, um, but when I talked to Francis about your production specifically that night, I was like, I'm making a record with Joe. I'm really excited. Like, I just wanted to say thanks for putting on that show in Salt Lake because it was really cool. And they were like, you're going to love how Joe's brain works. You're just going to really enjoy what it's like to just watch him work. And then I got into the studio with you and just like saw it all happen. Oh, thanks, was, Francis. Yeah, it was like really cool to kind of have that in context and then to watch you work. And and I, I don't specifically know what I'm getting at, but like when you're approaching a song or you, you come to a song that a band that you're going to produce, like what's... What's like? Because I watch, I'd watch you come into the room and just be like, "Okay, something's not working here. Let's figure out what's not working." Like, what's the alarm that goes off in your head saying this isn't working? Like, do you know? Can you pinpoint what the thing is, or like, how do you approach a new song or a new artist when you're trying to, to like make the most out of it, produce it? <laughs> uh, well, I try to tell people this right off the bat is that you know it is subjective, and they're not my songs; they're your songs. And the really the only thing I'm going off of is my opinion. Mm-hmm. What what I think it it, sa- yeah. it sounds very obvious, but like it, it's it, it's it's 
only that. It's just my reaction to how I hear it or want to hear it. Like whether it's problem solving or making something shine, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, I think we should stop here and really there's something he like, this part is amazing. Let's make it 10% better and have it like rip through the ether or it's like, or it's like, Hey, Something's not clicking here in this part. Whatever it is, it's it's wherever I stop nodding my head, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I'm luckily at a point where I can just work with thing. You know, artists I enjoy their music, mm-hmm. so I, I, I'm not as much button pushing or engineering or just doing a paycheck. It's like I'm nodding my head. I'm rocking out in the control room. Well, why did I stop? Totally. And when I stop is when you know. That's when I will I'll, I'll burst through the door like Kramer, being like, "Guys, we got." And you're like, "All right, slower." What did you just say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. No, that's uh, um, dude, that makes perfect sense. And because I mean, music is such a, I mean, it's, it's subjective. It's opinion. It's it's mm-hmm. like, but yeah, what is making you stop? Like this this economy of attention that we're in now. Like music has always been that. But now so much that like I don't want people skipping my song, for, you know, and that's bad for the algorithm apparently too. So like I don't know, it makes sense that that would be just like as simple as what makes me stop, like what takes me out of it, right? And that's yeah, that's that's uh, what do you do? Like, have you ever had a situation where you get where you're in the studio or you're like a something's not working at all and I don't, I don't know how you like pinpoint what's not working or like how to move past it. Like, I, I don't know how to, I don't know what, how to frame this question specifically, but like, I don't know. How do you, is it more of like, let's throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what s- sticks or you have like these tricks in your back pocket. That you're like, Oh, I, I like, I like this little thing. You know, like something we used a lot on my record is that, that Motown doom, doom, doom. You know, like, and that really, in some parts of the records, like, that's exactly what that needed right there. You know, is that, I don't know, is that a trick that you use often, or was it just what was working on my record? I don't know. I definitely gravitate, like, in talking about my opinion, I like pop music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like simplicity. So, if something's not working, I'll, it's, it always makes sense to take away. Mm-hmm. So, once we take away something, make something simpler... And it's not just my idea. Like I'll like something I'll gravitate towards. Be like, well, let's try this. It's really there's other people in the room, so mm-hmm. I it's intended for everybody to jump in. Like we're gonna figure this out together. Totally. Like my mind goes, I think this is the problem, but it could be something else. I'm really just calling out. I'm just, you know, marking it. You know, taking my red marker and being like, hey, this. And a lot of times the other people in the room will agree. They're like, yeah, something about this didn't always feel right. Totally. And then the guitar players will, will be like, well, maybe it was me or you know what I mean? So it's it's just, it opens up the conversation. And if it's a time thing and we're looking at the clock and, you know, just a lot of times something just do, doing less will make the part move forward. Mm-hmm. You know, and if it feels like it has a little bit of a gap, we can fill it in later because we can always add things. Yeah. But if we're doing the basics, the fundamental, the core, the song, yeah, we can't take away. Totally. So if if the bridge just we just decide to stop, and let the metronome count 
16 clicks and we leave it totally blank. To me, that's a fun problem to solve later than to have a band plow through those 16 beats uh-huh. with this thing that isn't work, you know, this jarble that isn't working. Not yeah. that I'm talking about anything you guys are doing. No, no, totally. It's it's but, putting it into context of actually working with you. It makes a lot of sense. Um, because a lot of what you were doing, what I loved about it was, it felt like you were like, like you said, highlighting a problem, making suggestions. What do you guys think? Or like, this song's not working right now, and we're on a time budget. This is what I think the problem is. Let's move on to the next one tonight. You guys work on this. Right. And that that gave us so much more ownership over the songs. You know, and totally. like, and and it was like and it when I was trying to, you know, cuz it's a new drummer trying to get the kick patterns down and you're pointing out it's not working and in my head I'm like thinking of the lyrics and I'm like no, this is how it should go. Try this. You know, and like right. and it's it, that's what I love about it. Like what, filmmaking my favorite thing, music, it being in the studio is the constant problem solving. Songwriting is a sudoku puzzle to me. Like, is that how you mm-hmm. approach things? Almost, it's almost like putting together a puzzle. Well, it's not. It's not really my puzzle. Like, it's, it's your puzzle. Yeah. That. So, I'll just go in there. You're like the clippy say little paper what I clip. Th- make my piece, and then I think the best thing I can do is, like you said, uh, they need to feel like they have ownership of it. Like, mm-hmm. I'll fuck off. Like, I'll go in there, explain it, fuck off, and let them hash it out. And come up with whatever. Whether they use anything I said or they decided the way it was was the best, that's mm-hmm. also totally fine and they're probably right. Um, yeah, so I think fucking off is the most important thing and knowing when to go in there. Like seeing people are getting frustrated or, you know, just if I have the absolute solution, I'll go back in. But usually it's, you know, about coming to the conclusions on your own. Totally. Yeah, no, that I, I love it. I think that's it's almost you're like you're like a little shaman. Yeah, you know, guiding people through their. That's trip. all it is. You yeah. know, it's it's. I'm not I'm not doing I'm not doing the heavy lifting. You wrote the songs. It's your band. You're you know you're the ones doing all the work. I'm just you know keeping it on the tracks. I guess. No, I think that's the. It's what a good, you know, in film school I read a book by Sidney Lumet called Making Movies, and his whole point. Or Lumet, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Made a lot of great <laughs> films, though. He, his whole thing was like going through each department and being like, "This is, or this is what my day to day looks like. This is dealing with this department, this department, this department." And the bottom line is, you got to make sure everybody's making the same movie. Like it's your vision, right. but it's your job to get everybody to somehow be making your vision. And and obviously, it's different as a producer because it's not really your vision, but you're like. You gotta you gotta be laying out the track in a way for people to figure out their way down that. Um, I don't know. You handle it in a really, really. I mean, at least working with you, the time I did, it, it worked out really well. We made a really cool fucking record. Yeah. Um, are there times that you've faced where you're like, that didn't work out? You know, and I don't need specific examples. I don't need you to name. You know, right. this isn't that kind of <laughs> podcast. But where you were like. You know, like, ah, kind of disappointed or let down or not really stoked on what transpired. Like, like we were talking about letdowns earlier before we started rolling. Like, how do you get through those? Those times where you're just like, fuck. You know, because I think this career especially is just wrought with, like, disappointment if you let it. You know, if you let the disappointment define what you're dealing with, then it, that, you know what I mean? Like, but it's also a lot of real big positives. How do you get through the disappointment? 
the disappointment uh we're talking about like as far as a uh, a song is concerned like or getting d- through the recording i guess i'm kind of skipping ahead quite a bit but like just i don't know when things just don't go your way whether it's like it's you know your your drummer having like having a kid in the band breaking up or like a certain band being just not working out as far as in the studio or i don't, I don't know how, how to put it um yeah, or just like a rough long tour where you're just like, I just I'm sick of all these fucking people and I just want to go home. <laughs> um You just seem to have like a pretty jovial overall attitude. And I'm wondering what like the if there's an opposite to that. Um well it's a lot of things aren't worth worrying about. They're worth thinking about and considering. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying ignore things. That could be a potential problem or ignore things that could be a potential opportunity. But like when something does go wrong or there's the possibility of it going wrong, worrying about it doesn't let you make the best decisions. Yeah. So I try not to worry about things. Yeah, I got you. No, totally. <laughs> and I know it annoys some people. And there's people I'm very good friends with that worry a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure my, what comes off as a lackadaisical attitude pisses them off or rubs them the wrong way. And uh-huh. I'm, and they're what feels like an uptight attitude sometimes rubs me the wrong way. But, uh, it, it, it at least when you're in a producer position or you're just a member of a band around a lot of people, like you, people pick up on your energy and your mood mm-hmm. and you're not doing anyone any favors by putting out a bad vibe. <laughs> yeah. 100%. I mean, I, it's not that I don't get upset. It's not that, you know, I, I, I get mad. I get disappointed. I get bummed, but worrying about it is like an extra thing you do have control over. Yeah. That, no, that's such a, such a great point. I heard a, <laughs> heard a line the other day of like, um, worrying works because everything I've ever worried about never happened. <laughs> you know, something. it's just like, that's such a great way to think of it. And for me, I'm such, I can get in those worry spirals or just that, you know, like my brain is working a million miles a minute and, and it's not helping anything when it's like, really, you don't, it's not a problem. You just need a fucking plan. You know, like mm-hmm. it, this isn't like, nobody's bleeding. Like yeah. we're not like, okay, you start worrying. And even have... then, if somebody was bleeding, freaking out is not going to solve the problem. To 100%. And there's there's actually like a lot of evidence about people that keep their cool in situations like that are survivors or the people that historically survived through you know your plane crashes in the Andes and you have to eat your soccer team like that. <laughs> <laughs> my, Not funny. My roommates and I were just talking about alive. That movie's <laughs> fucked. Uh, I don't know if you ever seen that. Is about... that the one with Liam Nielsen and he fights the wolves? No. Oh. No, alive. Alive <laughs> is, the, I think, the Peruvian or Chilean soccer team that their their plane crashed in. There's like a true story: crashed yeah. in the Andes, and then they like had to like cannibalize some people to like survive. It's like a true story. Well, that's the other end of the thing. Like, I do read a lot of history, mm-hmm. and nothing is that bad. Yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> Any of the shit that's going to come up for me in the next uh, amount of time, you know, barring something extreme. Yeah. It's not going to be as bad as it would have been if I was, you know, born in a different time. 
Totally. That's a <laughs> such a good point. Reading history is a useful tool in that way. It, yeah, it puts things in fucking perspective. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Damn, that's a... I love that. I need to keep that in mind. I need to, like, the times I am worrying, it's it's so important for me to just be like, dude, like, you're going to have to spend this time that you're currently in right now, no matter what. You know what I mean? Like, you could be a worried mess about it, or you could just be like, that'll probably be figured out tomorrow. Or, you know what I mean? Or I need a plan. Like, I stress about going to the fucking post office. You know what I mean? And to the point where it's like, it takes me 45 minutes to walk out my front door because I'm so stressed about going to the post office. That's a problem. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of people there and they're all up next to you <laughs> and it's slow. I don't, I don't love it either. But Yeah, but when you got to go to the post office once a week, you got <laughs> like, you end up wasting a whole lot of time. Yeah, it, it does take that. <laughs> all right. Now, now to the, now to the good part. Okay. No, uh-oh. No, I, uh, Getting through my questions super quickly, which is weird because I talk way too much. I'll start stop giving yes or no answers. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's uh, well, let's take it back a little bit. When when did you first meet Francis? Uh, they moved to Philly. We played a show together. Two, three blocks from where we're sitting right now. Hopalong, which at the time was just Francis. Marky, Francis's brother's old band. And Algernon played in a basement down the street and we did not know each other. Oh, okay. That was the first time I was ever in any of their presence. I know their mom was there. <laughs> um... And I thought it was fantastic. I had seen Marky's band before, somewhere in the middle of PA. I thought it was awesome. But that was the first time I heard Francis sing. I was, mm-hmm. you know, definitely had what I would assume a lot of people's reaction is, is holy shit. Totally. Uh, especially when it was just Francis and a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then we started to have a similar circle of friends. Obviously, I'm not sure if they were... Mark or Francis were living in the city then, but they moved here, similar circle of friends, and I lived at a warehouse in sort of kensington and Francis started sort of coming around, and, you know, we were acquaintances, but I really liked their music and was interested in recording or working with the band, uh... And then Francis asked me. Oh, cool. I don't know if I was the one of the few people they knew with the recorded you know, uh-huh. access to recording equipment. Uh, but maybe that mixed with, you know, our similar vibes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So we were acquaintances. But when we started working on the record, like even after the first day of just Francis and I working on the song from scratch, like we both left that recording session feeling really good cool like what we did that day was definitely i don't want to speak for francis but there you know it was special yeah that's and it definitely felt that way that's really cool and so you from the beginning that was something i was going to ask is like did you have any idea that this was going to be like a a long-standing 
potential collaboration. It sounds like from the beginning, you're like, it had the potential for it. I wish I could remember the exact phrasing of the text. Francis sent me a text. I want to say it was just after the first day. Mm -hmm. Maybe like a week later. I don't know how many sessions we had done, but maybe it was the first day. And we were both listening to what we did a lot. Uh, It was just one song and it was like just pieces of it. Mm -hmm. A lot of of which I think we ended up keeping. Um, Sent me a text that was like, Something to the effect of, we're going to make a million records together, or you and I are going to do this, you know, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And I didn't think much of it at the time, other than it was a really sweet thing to say. Yeah, totally. But it kind of ended up being the case. Totally. That's, <laughs> oh man. So we mentioned however an hour ago about the those days you don't realize are going to change your life, and then they just do. It's, uh, that's really cool. Um, the, yeah, you mentioned the first time you heard Francis sing, and same first time, especially live at that show in Salt Lake, was just like fuck. Like, and I'd listened to Hop Along before, you know, but live, it's just a, it's, I don't know, it's really, once again, just fucking blowing smoke up your ass, but like, <laughs> not really, because it just blew my mind. And but then when I got into Bark Your Head Off, dog, that was, you know, like I said, the first record that I kind of like really got into after that show. You know, you see a band and you're like, because you know a band and you've listened to them a little bit and then you see them and you're like, holy shit. And then you like get into a band. And that's kind of how that record was. And I like how, how their voice breaks up almost like a vintage tube amp. Mm -hmm. How much of that is just natural and how, like, oh, it's all vintage tube amps. Huh? No, no, I was like, oh, we installed some tubes in (laughs) their chest no like how much of that is like eq like how did you figure out how to eq their voice like that like i don't know it's it seems like it not just any engineer could do that make it sit the way that record sits uh thank you for saying that but you would really have to be the worst engineer on the fucking planet to make francis sound bad (laughs) that's fair enough like like you gotta Go above and beyond to do a bad job. Yeah, no, nobody fuck that up. Nobody sings. Yeah, nobody hears their voice and thinks it's it's bad. And so yeah, no, I, that's a that's a good point. It's, I a, just, it's when you have, whenever you're working with somebody or a group that's insanely talented, like it's gonna make you feel good. It's gonna make you look good, and it's gonna come out good. You yeah. know what I mean? There's, it's at some point engineering. Like once you know the basics, like there's the, the 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 magic is in the artist and you know the bigger picture but like to make a guitar sound good like it probably took me longer than i should have learned but it's not that hard to do to like put a mic on a guitar with a good guitar player and have it sound really fucking good mm-hmm. uh yeah <laughs> so are you with the camp that it's like do you think it's the performance in a recording that's i mean obviously there's so much to the engineering or whatnot but without the performance like the song just can i've heard so many great songs and some of the songs that i've written that i'm like this song's so good and then it comes out in the recording kind of flat like how do you how do you avoid that do you have any is it do you think it's like that's the performance because i can look back in some of mine and i sorry i'll let you answer no (laughs) but like i can look back on some of those cases with some of my songs where where i was like oh man that didn't come out and now i look back on it with like even more experience under my belt being like yeah that was my performance that's why that song fell flat right um 
do you think that's all essentially always or how do you avoid that uh well it's easy to avoid now because i've already made so many bad sounding records mm-hmm. i'm hoping i got them all out of my system <laughs> totally, you know I've, yeah. I've done all my learning the hard way oh that's not true yeah. but you know <laughs> for sure you know what i mean it's like i've i've cut my teeth i've made a thousand mistakes i still make mistakes but mm-hmm. it's way less often and i just it's easier to avoid or see the tra- you know the train crash come in Mm-hmm. you know from further away until you're in it classic now yeah. just with some experience that but makes perfect sense. like uh, a lot of trial and error a lot of doing bad work <laughs> you know especially like well it's like when uh you're with somebody and you're we're trying to sing the harmony part and get it right or you're with a guitar player and we're like well what if it was something like this and you're trying to write it on the fly and you know if they're like oh sorry i know i'm uh hitting a lot of wrong notes you know my thing is always like well you gotta find the ones that don't work before you want to find the ones that do work totally no that's that's the truth that's uh <laughs> at least for me <laughs> it will, i don't go right to the right ones <laughs> that's why i like to make the comment that for some people tell them like my songwriting is like doing a sudoku puzzle in a way it's like yeah you have to find all the wrong answers before you find the right ones mm-hmm. um and that that's always been the appeal of creative work to me is the 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 problem solving nature of it um yeah so that that that's uh yeah i love that kind of the problem solving to me is fun like like i was saying earlier like leaving a 16 bar gap in a song like what are we gonna do here later it's like i don't know but i can't wait to find out (laughs) yeah totally that was i feel and i feel like most people would agree with me on this so maybe i'm just like saying stating the obvious but like like the the piano part or the the synthy electric piano thing we did i i recorded on the beginning of trouble that that was the last thing we recorded for the record it was sitting in the back of my mind for months like that part needs something i have no idea what it is but it needs something and maybe not months but it was a while that that was and and i my whole approach to it was like just let it sit in the back of your mind until it until it's forcing its way out and then it right. finally did one day um is that how you approach like do you like to just like full on just like tackle a thing that you don't think that you're like trying to figure out or do you do you like to let it gestate for a while uh no no answer either way i mean with a lot of things it's it is creativity and like you do hit walls and forcing it's not probably not going to do any good so Mm -hmm. i'm all about like let's walk away from this kind of thing like even when you know the band is rehearsing like if we hit a wall and it's just you know you can kind of you can feel the vibe in the room is not everyone's a little disheartened well maybe it's time to work on a different song yeah totally maybe it's time to move on yeah if you don't have an idea you might have one and you know we might have one in 10 minutes or you know like something in a recording yeah let's 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 come back to this like, like, you know, we got to do, we know we have to do this other thing. Mm-hmm. Let's go do that. And then, you know, maybe before we break, break for dinner, let's take another stab at this thing that we were previously stuck on. Totally. No, that that's such a key and important part, I think, of, of like the producing role where it's your job to kind of keep everything on the tracks and, and like avoiding burnouts, huge, you know, avoiding people being disheartened. Cause like we've been beating our head against this wall for too many hours and being mm-hmm. able to be like let's let's do this other thing like that's that's fucking huge um gonna take you back a little bit but like what was your first tour like 
Do you remember the first time you ever loaded up in the van with like your buds and traveled to play music? I do. Do you remember that? Like, like tell me, tell me if you what you remember about that. I remember a lot. I remember, I remember more about that tour than <laughs> been a lot ones since. that followed. <laughs> um, graduated high school. Did the whole senior week thing. What's that? It's like you're a shithead. Your friends are shitheads. Uh huh. You get you and all your shithead friends together. Uh, you get somebody's older brother to buy a bunch of shitty alcohol. Uh huh. You rent some shitty place by the beach. Yeah. And you do shithead things. You just be a shithead for a week. You just be a shithead for a week. Congratulations, yeah. you passed high school. Yeah. Um, t- time to be a dummy. Yeah. <laughs> So we didn't have an official thing for that, but we, we all did it. But it wasn't like an official thing. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, totally. Yes. Well, whatever various regions name for it is, it here's um, it's that. But I think maybe the day I got back, maybe the day after I got back, our band that was called Halfway to Holland, they pulled up, and it was called we called it the Tank. The the van that peter had i guess it was his mom's van uh they were all in the van and my mom and they came to come get me and my mom was like you are not going on tour what yeah she was like what do you think you're i mean i don't remember if i didn't tell her or i kind of <laughs> i don't remember what happened but i was like i gotta go on tour she's like what are you crazy no um but eventually they sort of just stole me and we left really yeah where all did you go do you remember yeah, it's maybe as far as a lot of shows I think fell through. It was pretty short. Yeah, but maybe as far south as Charleston. Oh, cool. Yeah. And what's the other sea place? Charlotte. Char- Charlottesville. Charlottesville, somewhere in there. And then sort of made our way back up. Uh, it was probably only five days, but we had a blast. Yeah, but it was the dream. It was everything you ever dreamed of, <laughs> and but also not. It. it it didn't seem that dreamlike because you know we we weren't like a popular act yeah or anything but just playing music and doing fun stuff with your friends and it was like I could get into this oh yeah I I remember the first out of state show I ever played was in San Antonio we drove seventeen hours to get to it because morons yeah know? and because two shows fell yeah. fell through on the way yeah. we drove seventeen hours to get to San Antonio to play to like seven people Mm -hmm. but we were supposed to play san antonio again in like three nights but we didn't have anything in between and the owner of the bar like dug us and he's like just come play the next two nights oh and so we had like a residency in san antonio for like four nights and i just remember by like night three i had drank like a hundred lone stars and i was like (laughs) i don't ever want to leave texas i'm like 19 years old i'm I'm more a lone star than human now yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, like that, it's, I feel like I've been chasing that idea of freedom my whole life. My buddy Jericho Davidson calls it like, he was like, when he was on the podcast, he was like, I just always wanted to be a pirate, but pirates didn't exist anymore. So I became a musician and a stand-up comedian. Oh, yeah. And it's like, (laughs) that I... I like how there is some sort of parallel there. It's like, yeah, it's kind of the same lifestyle. No, it really is in a lot of ways. And I, and like, if you saw Jericho, you'd be like, oh, he kind of looked like a pirate. (laughs) But 
like was that part of the appeal or was it always just the music like the just the idea of like just freedom I'd be lying if I said uh, historically I haven't been very attracted to partying. Mm-hmm. You know, just like having a fucking good time. Totally. With the people you like having a good time with and not worrying about much else. But luckily, I've, o- I've always also worked really really hard at doing music stuff like mm-hmm. long days you know whatever it is um so they they kind of just went hand in hand like yeah the doing 16 hour days you know maybe i'll wake up the next day and you know i'll meet some friends for happy hour you know what i mean immediately but it's it's always they've always really gone together with me. Obviously the music is more important. And now that I'm older, it's obviously the priority, mm-hmm. but, um, and it's, it was still the, always the music. There was never anything else I wanted to do, but the fact that those two stereotypes went together so well, it's just, does this seem silly? You know what I'm saying? Kind of no, like, I know it was exactly just like, what you're saying. I get to play music and also we're going to, play music in front of people and then we're going to party all night. Yeah. 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 I want in sign me the fuck up. I'm getting in that van. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to make jokes all day in the van. We're going to eat Taco Bell. Then we're going to play music and then we're going to party. Yeah. Let's do it again tomorrow. Yeah. Sounds good. (laughs) Dude, that's, that's the truth. (laughs) That's the dream. That's, uh, that was so much of what I was, what I've been chasing all along. I remember having a conversation with a dude in like some bar in middle of nowhere, Kentucky, like fucking six years ago. And I'm sitting there watching college football because I just didn't at that point. I don't book shows during football season on Saturdays, typically because of college football. Because because like in certain towns, nobody's going to be at the Uh, bar. Interesting. You know, like it just and I've had that before where it's like, where the fuck is everyone? Everyone's like, yeah, they're at the game. He's in a college town or whatever. And so. Maybe this, I think this is a Saturday night and we're, or maybe, I don't know, maybe I was just drinking beers. I don't know. The dude was like, there was some athlete that had gotten, maybe it was NFL, got in trouble for smoking pot, you know, got suspended or whatnot. And the guy's like, I can't believe this dude can't quit smoking pot for $3 million a year or whatever the fuck it is. And I, and I was just like, yeah, that's the problem. He's like, you get a job where nobody cares if you smoke pot all the time <laughs> and you can just smoke pot all the time. He's like, what are you talking about? You know, cause I'm in rural Kentucky. I'm like, well, I'm a traveling musician. Nobody gives a fuck if I'm stoned. Every actually, people are disappointed if I'm not. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. It's, it's so I, I know exactly what you're saying. Is like I I don't really party the way I used to, but like that was a lot of the appeal for a long time. And then I I don't know. I think that's part of how I woke up one day at 25, 26 years old and was like, oh, I guess I'm a musician now. Like I've just been playing music and everything else involved. That it just, I don't know, it just made sense. And then, what did, like, how has your touring changed since? Or, like, what have you learned since that first time heading out on the road? Like, well, since the first time, uh, I know you, <laughs> what I learned the first time is, is you don't walk into a head shop in the South and ask, uh, hey, man. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> you have to leave right 
now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Sorry. No, didn't think Same so. with headshots Didn't think that was going to work. I uh, just figured it would leave. <laughs> uh, what is it like now compared to then? Um, it's a little cushier. You know, it's, it's a popular band that as opposed to, you know, sleep. You know, there's a hotel. I'm yeah. also older. I do kind of like being able to maybe just have a beer. Mm-hmm. in the green room and read a book or take a nap because you know we got to load in at three or something yeah there's a lot of time in between yeah so it's and it's more regimented because there's people in charge of things so you know the band doesn't have to bicker about well we should get here by this time or we should do this there's yeah. no we should it's we are and we're all just gonna go do it because it's, it's a job yeah totally. really it's the funnest job the best job and in the world we love each other and party afterwards and um but it, it's you know it's more it's more relaxing now. yeah because you're not worried about anything you're not there's not where we're going to sleep some you, you you get in the van and then you're at a place with a bed yeah now the logistics more relaxing <laughs> if the logistics aren't your job then it becomes so much easier i imagine yeah because that's that's the one thing that like like someone the other day asked me, like, what do you, like, what do you, what would you want out of music? Or like, 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 what have you not achieved that you want to and think you will someday? And I was like a tour manager, <laughs> you know, like, or just like, I, I just want to go on like a real tour because it's like, I've been doing the DIY thing for so long and I fucking <clears throat> love it. And I don't think I'll, I have any plans on stopping it, but it's, it can be so taxing to be like, I'm driving eight hours today to go play a three hour set for X amount of dollars to like figure out where to, you know, like, and it's just like, and it's all on me. Mm -hmm. And usually I'm touring solo. And when I am with a band, I just make sure they're as comfortable as possible. Cause like you guys are taking time off work to come hang out with me and play rock and roll. They love it. But also like, you don't need to stress about everything. Right. And so long story short, one of these days when I I imagine it'll, I don't know, it'll be much nicer to just be like, yeah, the, I'm just going to show up and play and do the, you know, like you don't have to worry about the logistics of everything. Yeah, it is nice. But with that being said, uh, I, I'm not going to say I would never do a DIY tour again. Like maybe it'll just, maybe it'll be shorter, but who knows? I don't know. Maybe I'll do a DIY tour for, you know, a month. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not abo- above and beyond or, you know. Okay. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> just because it's I gotten would do to it that again point. For sure. It's just not what I'm doing right now. <laughs> For sure, no that that makes perfect sense. That's uh, that's the right move. The point the point is to just keep doing it. Yeah, keep playing, right? Exactly. Uh, what's what are your favorite days? Studio days, tour days, when you're home mixing. Uh, luckily, the fact that I get to do them all makes them all interesting. There's no burnout really involved. Yeah, it's constantly. There's no. You're never doing the same day twice. No. That's... Yeah, like before all this started, it'd be like, make a record for a month, go on tour for three weeks, mix something for two weeks, go do this show for four days, the, make a record for two weeks, make a record for a month, but it's in a different town, you know. So it's just like, there there isn't a favorite thing. I enjoy playing music the most, mm-hmm. probably the writing and the collabing and the studioing. Uh, the shows are great, but it's a whole day of waiting to play. Yeah. Uh, I, I probably like that the most. Mm-hmm. I love playing. Yes. Yeah. The, you know, the, the guitar is the best 
musical thing I ever did for myself was mm-hmm. getting yeah. one and learning how to play it. Uh, but luckily, it, n- none of it gets old. That's and, cool. Yeah, it's it's all very exciting. When the next thing happens, I'm excited to do it. Yeah. You know, when I've been cooped up in the studio for a month and we're going to go play sh- some shows, I'm very excited. But vice versa, if I've been on the road, like I can't wait to just hunker down in the studio. <laughs> totally. That's really cool. I love that you've yeah. set up this life for yourself where you're, you're not spending many days not doing things you like. You know, that's that's kind of been the goal for me all along. I watched my stepdad work a job he hated for a really long time to only be laid off before he could retire, you know, because that's how capitalism does. You know Jesus. what I mean? And like, yeah. and you know, they're, they're fine and they're working their way out of it and whatnot. But it just like, that all happened at a really formative time for me when I was like in college. And I, it's like, you, you like he did everything right. He did it the way everyone's supposed to do it. And it fucked him, you know? And it's like, yeah. I'm going to just kind of try and work a job I like doing and probably have less money and less security and whatnot. But like my parents' biggest worries when I was growing up was money and he worked a job he hated. What's the fucking point? You know what I mean? Like what's the fucking point? So like, that's really inspiring that you like on Joe pug, who's a songwriter I like, and I listen to his podcast. He's like, dude, I've been to Europe and Australia on the back of songs I wrote what the fuck? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's, uh, I haven't made it to Europe yet, but I went to Australia on tour and that kind of just in a minute being like, I booked the whole thing myself, but also like, holy fuck, you know, yeah. I, me getting a guitar at 12 years old eventually led to this. So I don't know. It's really inspiring to hear you say that like your day to day or you, you don't have many days that you don't enjoy. No, I, I feel like I'd be, I'm bad at taking directions. I'm, bad at listening to things i don't want to listen about or to i really would be very bad at almost anything else yeah same (laughs) and maybe i mean whether i was good at it or not i wouldn't give a fuck dude same that's (laughs) i can think of a couple other things i'd be like yeah i could see myself maybe doing that uh but that's a pretty small uh, elite list that I'm, yeah. I'm not on any of. And so luckily I don't have to sign up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, quarterback in the NFL wasn't working out for me. So, <laughs> so songwriter, I don't know. It's funny. Cause my, my parents will make fun of me. Cause like, well, you wanted to be a pro snowboarder in high school before that you wanted to be a pro football player. <laughs> and then all, like at a certain point, you know, like at a certain point you decided you were going to, be a musician like it's or a filmmaker and then now a musician it's hard to take you seriously i was like yeah but i don't i just was never gonna do whatever the fuck you guys were doing yeah you know? and I, I love my <laughs> you're parents. missing the point here yeah <laughs> i chose all those things <laughs> well it's authority is something i've just always struggled with i don't i because like the type of people that want authority are the type of people i want to give the biggest the most hell to because fuck those people you know and like mm-hmm. that's why i'm a solo diy musician because like no boss I've ever had have I like ended that job with us being friends. Maybe not none, but like, like damn, dude. <laughs> it's just like a. I mean, it's a hard thing for. I don't know. I I, I really struggle with authority. No, and I, I, and, I do too. Um. So there's not many other things I could be doing. Yeah. Uh. That all being said, I mean, even if it's something as simple as like someone being like, you can't go over there with the, your drink. I'm just like, oh, I like boil with rage. I'm like, this guy's just doing his job, but I am so fucking mad right now. 
I want to say something snarky. Oh, so many deep t- breath. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't tell you how I had like a fi- a week long incident with Verizon this past summer trying to like fix my internet, and it mm-hmm. just was like a week straight of on the phone with them, Ugh. like just you know, and like. And every single time I'm losing my shit, just being like, I know this isn't your fault. And I, and I, and I want you to know that I recognize you as a human being. Right. I used to work at a call center in college, but, but you this work, is so fucked. <laughs> but I'm like, you work for an evil corporation and like those, every single building with a Verizon symbol on it needs to be evacuated and then burned down. So nobody gets hurt, but right. fuck Verizon, you know? Like, yeah. But like, but not you. Yeah. I know you're a human being. I get being. you're just doing You're it. just doing yeah. your job. Yeah. But God, it's that that Spaceballs line. Fuck, even in the future, nothing works. It's <laughs> no, no, that was my thought the whole time. So for those of us that like have no chance of being anything else, or maybe not no chance, but like you know, I, I there's very few jobs I could have done besides what I'm doing. Like, what what advice do you have for like younger people that are starting out or or like wanting to either be a, a musician or an artist or an engineer, like or any job that just means not the typical work your way up the corporate ladder, retire, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't think that exists really anymore. Like, what's your advice for people that are like, I'm going to make my own way? Uh, don't be popular or cool. <laughs> so you can really practice your craft. I didn't, I didn't spend middle school or high school, like going on dates or hanging with people all the time. Like I was playing the guitar mm-hmm. like all the time. And then even when I started, you know, recording and everything, it was because I felt like I wasn't that good at it. Like I would spend days on a mix that still came out bad, but there's no honing your craft by not putting in the time and working your fucking butt off. Totally. And that, that just from in the very beginning, working probably harder than you feel like you should be. Like if you want a nine to five job because you only want to, be forced to do something for that long like maybe this isn't the business for you uh-huh. or the career path for you if, for, <laughs> if you want to call it that yeah but th- there is no there is no breaks really uh and then after that just keeping being open-minded like if you want to be involved like these things are all linked like maybe you end up booking shows and that's really fulfilling or you end up working for a record label or you're an engineer or you're something you do leads you to doing like, um, Foley for films. Yeah. Just like keeping, don't be like, I don't ever want to work with hip hop. Cause maybe you're really good at making beats or yeah. vice versa. So just like not saying no to things. Totally. Even if you feel like you should, or even if you don't have the time, just like doing everything putting too much on your plate until you can't take it anymore and decide i have too much on my plate i gotta stop putting too many things on my plate which eventually happened to me but like yeah yeah just uh trying to keep your fingers and everything like i i had record labels i booked shows Mm -hmm. i was bad at those things (laughs) yeah uh you know just trying to do it all and do it all the best you can dude that's great such good advice because the funny thing is like I was uh, one of my good friends. I'm still really good friends with her, but we dated for a while a number of years ago and she's an architect. And, uh, like we, one thing we fought over a lot and part of why it didn't work out is because, you know, she'd want to go on these vacations cause she got paid vacation. I worked in bars or played music. So like I needed my weekends. That's like when I made money. And, but long story short was just like kind of realizing it kind of solidified a lot of things. Cause I was 20, 
728 when we dated, I want to say. And like, oh, two weeks off a year is not enough for me. You know, like working like a, a regular corporate job where you only get two weeks off a year and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, that's not enough for me. And like, I need more freedom in my life. And then it, like, it, what's funny is it turns into me, like I don't have days off. I work every single day and I have for the entire pandemic working on something, you know, but like nobody's told me what to do in over a year. Yeah. I haven't clocked in in over a year. But you're I, always clocked in. But always like, clocked look, in. Pro Tools is up behind you. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that you're like mixing. And while... the, I'm, yeah, like when we wrap up, I'm probably gonna eat something, <laughs> pour a half drink, and sit in front of the computer again. <laughs> totally, I'm gonna drive home and probably listen to some of these podcasts or like work on a mix. Like, yeah, and it's, it, but it's it's that classic. Like, if you love what you're doing, you never work a day in your life. Um, and I, I truly believe that. I think you're definitely a Boom. testament to that. Which is which is really inspiring, Joe. It's I'm fucking stoked to be friends with you now. Oh, right back at you, brother. Um, is there anything Thank you, you want to <laughs> anything coming up you want to mention or anything you want to plug? Um, this time next year I'm gonna be a pro surfer. So uh, fucking a. Follow me on Instagram for cool surf vids. We still need to go surfing. <laughs> which I don't know how to surf, but one of these days. Yeah, I that's the best part. I didn't know either, and I went from uh, bad to a little less than good. To one of these. So this time pro. next year, I'm gonna be good. Okay, so the year after that, I'll be a pro <laughs> surfer. <laughs> you heard it. You heard it. 2023. Yeah. Joe Reinhardt, pro surfer mm-hmm. on the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Jersey circuit. Yeah, that is. Yeah, sure. I'll be I'll be selling tube mics for surfboard trades. So you know, <laughs> let me know what you got. <laughs> Fucking a man. Well, this is been really really cool uh you want to let the listeners know where they can find you online if you want them to find you uh yeah sure um there's a joe reinhardt.com yeah it says something about a, a very chill guy which i'm the jury's told still you out on the jury's was... still out on. <laughs> or somebody did somebody, yeah. somebody hacked me some asshole some it's hack really mean about it too <laughs> like i'm gonna get this fucker <laughs> well cool yeah joe reinhardt.com yeah no it's it's pretty bland uh i made it one day because i missed a flight and i was really kind of felt bad and a little embarrassed especially since we were like up all night and i was telling the people i was with i was like oh, i'll be fine it's so the next day i was like plane flew away i was like i gotta do something to make myself feel good so i built a little website (laughs) hell yeah well that little website is how i eventually tracked down your contact info and got you to make my record so i didn't mention on the podcast but actually we talked about a little bit joe produced my new record honeysuckle summer which is either out i don't know when this episode's coming out it'll it's out it's out right now go listen to it on the internet Mm -hmm. buy a a copy on vinyl yeah somebody pirated it yeah, and on best sandwich ever on Instagram. Best sandwich ever. Speaking of which, the sandwiches we got that shop was that called Duke's? I thought we were going to Pasquale's. It was Pasquale's. Why did you pass there and it says Duke's now? Yeah, it's it used to be called Pasquale's. Okay, because I drove by it today, and I was like, that looks like the shop, but I don't remember being called Duke's or looking like that. But I like the sign was the same. And then I made a right on, is that Frankfurt? 
Or what what street is that on? You are you were on Frankfurt. Yeah, I made a right because I was like going on this mm-hmm. right here in the the restaurants here on the right. This is not useful information. <laughs> <laughs> He's making hand gestures. Yeah, pointing in directions. This is a really great audio <laughs> <In> podcast. Philadelphia. <laughs> but no, and then I made a right, and I was like, oh, there's that park where we ate those sandwiches. So that had to have been that spot, but it they changed the name. Okay, it changed the name. I'm glad you remembered that, and also appreciated the sandwiches. Dude, those you sandwiches did like were them. so I fucking I was, good. I liked how much you liked them. It made me like you more. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I think he's on the level. He gets it. He knows what good sandwiches. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, my buddy Sam, who I met with this morning uh, when I first got to town, uh, he was like, what, what do you want for food? And I was like, I don't know, something. I was like, eggs, maybe some gravy, some coffee. And he's like, okay, this is the spot. And he told me to go to the, like Johnny Hots or something. I don't know what it was called specifically, but I got a... Text me later. I'm curious. I got a hot sausage and egg roll thing, and it was very good. Johnny Hots. Okay. Or is it, yeah. What, what was it called? Oh, we'll find out. Well, y'all have been listening to Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. Joe, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Um, and yeah, go listen to my new record, Honeysuckle Summer, produced by Joe Reinhardt, and uh, safe travels. Till next time. Peace. Peace.